Welcome to Not Meddling, Just Mothering. We are so excited you have joined us today. We are continuing with our series, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. And today we will be covering chapters four and five, which deal with marriage and its romantic aspects. So we hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Hey there, Missy. How are you today? Good. I'm sitting here in the downtown Jacksonville Public Library. I rented one of the meeting rooms so that we could catch each other early and make sure that our episode didn't get pushed to the side this week. Right. Yeah. And that's because I am going to be traveling tomorrow. So that's our normal recording day. But I'm going to see my kids in California. So I'm really excited about that. Is that your win? No, that's not my win, but it could be, right? I'll tell you when I get back, right? Okay. <laughs> it was a win or not. <laughs> Since you mentioned it, let's go ahead and get into the win. My win for today is that my second oldest child, which is my daughter, got accepted into a Christian college. She's finishing up her two years at the community college, and she applied for a small Christian college in California and was accepted. So I'm really excited for her. That's now we awesome. just got to pray for the financial aid to come in and the finances yeah. to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the part about college. Well, my win is actually this week, my daughter was having like a mommy and son date day with her two-year-old and they were getting out of the car. She was trying to get him out of the car. She's going to take him to eat. And he starts saying, her hurt her and she's like what hurts and he's like hurt you know so she finally just stops off at the er takes him out and they look him over they look him over and he seems fine and then all of a sudden he moves a certain way and his arm hurts and he's like hurt 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 and so they did x-rays they didn't find anything and so at one point they kept trying to push her out the door, like, go, he's fine. It's probably, we probably just learned a new word. And she's like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving till we check. So, and then finally the baby points to his elbow and he says, hurt right here. And so then they started looking and he had dislocated his elbow. Like maybe they call it nursemaid's elbow or something. So maybe he fell or maybe he was tripping on the street. That's happened to my kids before, right on an intersection. I go to grab them from stepping off the curb and then their little shoulder got kind of dislocated a little bit. So whatever it was, they popped it back into place and he was doing perfectly well. And then the five-month-old little baby girl, she has been feeding herself. So they go to feed her a spoonful of fruit, like bananas or whatever. She grabs it and puts it in her own mouth and eats it. And then they give her another spoonful and she eats it. I, I'll send you the video, Asha. It's so cute. But I just thought, what an amazing time of development that we have a two-year-old that is able to speak for himself and say that something hurts. We have a mama who will stay at the ER until... We solved the problem because I know when I was younger, I was young and I was small and I didn't know what I was asking. And so if they shoot us out the doctor, I was like, okay, we'll just take our baby home and <laughs> right. know, hopefully this works out or we'll call our grandma and ask her. But my daughter is like, no, we're not, we're not leaving. You're going to stay here till we figure out why he keeps saying it hurts. And, and then right. the baby, we're just so shocked that at five months old, she can feed herself. So it's pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I think the win is just, you know, to to see that God is always doing a good thing and that he's watching over our children, helping them to advocate for their family. And then the children are growing and we ask that he helps them to grow in knowledge and grace. You know, I can also um, tell you a time when I was at a dental office and my oldest son was taken back and they wouldn't let us go back there with them. And I'm like thinking now, why did I not go back there with them? Because when my son came out, he said they put this big giant coat on him that had a belt that wrapped all the way around, like a street jacket kind of thing is what I imagine. And then they put him to sleep to do his teeth. So, which I'm glad they put him to sleep, but he can vividly remember the straight jacket they put on him. He said, I couldn't move at all. And I was scared and I just felt so bad. But that is awesome that your your daughter just said, nope, I'm not leaving. And you're going to find out what's going on with them. That is a great win. Well, and and that helped something similar, but not health. My oldest, when he was in like, first grade he was in first grade he was reading at a seventh grade level but for some reason the teacher thought he was too too much to deal with or whatever and and same thing they were like nope he's gonna do this and he's not gonna do that and the teacher's the boss of everything and I was probably about 27 maybe not quite 28 and I was like okay you said it so we'll just do it and you know I all these years later there's a little bit of mom guilt that I didn't stand up and say, oh, no, oh, we're moving him classes. That teacher has no right. right to do anything with my kid. And it's it was just tough because in those days, you just didn't question it. Our moms didn't question too much. And we didn't know to question too much about certain things like that. We just try to go along with it. Right. It's funny. I think we're talking and talking about past experience so that we don't <laughs> get into today's topic. Oh, oh yeah, um, hang off. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get started because last episode we joked about talking about sex and man, oh man, did, I did the the notes on this episode and you made me drag out the cat because I'm blushing just thinking about the next 30 to 45 minutes. So good news is that my kids don't really listen to this podcast. Not, they don't want to hear it. I mean, there's one that's caught it a few times, but well, okay. So today's podcast, if you're listening, whether you're our kid or one of our beloved listeners, it's adult talk today. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, if you have a little grandbaby or one of your children and their ears are listening and they're nearby, maybe you should take a break and pick up this episode when you're in adult company only. Yeah. So today we're going to cover chapters four and five of the book by Dr. Jim Burns entitled Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. Chapter four is called Your Empty Nest Marriage, and chapter five is called Rekindling Romance. So we are going to jump right in. Yeah. Asha, remember when your kids were small and it took so much energy to run them to practice get bath time done, still make dinner, help with homework. Oh my gosh, uh, I don't have two socks that match. And so date nights were rare. They were a super great treat if one of our moms or one of our friends were willing to do some babysitting. But now we're in the emptiness. We're all alone with our spouses. And for some couples, 
The thought, honestly, is just frightening. They're not even sure they know that person they're married to. Some people are frightened because they no longer know who they are themselves. Right. right. Yeah, you're right. Dr. Burns talks specifically about this in the chapter. The subtitle of Your Emptiness Marriage is Winning in the Second Half, and I think that it is because our whole life changes when our kids leave. And we're looking at what is left wondering who are we now, who are our spouses now. It's hard to remember who we fell in love with, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Principle number four of this book is midlife is about staying in love by falling in love again. Because we're not the people that we met back when we were in our 20s, right? We're yeah. completely different people. And we've grown and we've changed and we have to start all over again. So the good thing to know is that now there's an understanding that it isn't sparked just by physical attraction, right? Um, yeah. Dr. Burns says, but I didn't know what falling in love meant when it was hormonal. Now it's everything, mind, heart, body, and soul. He states that there is an uptick in the marital satisfaction and emptiness couples, and that couples 50 to 70 years old report greater happiness and marital satisfaction than couples that still have their kids at home. And I believe this is because their focus has shifted from raising their kids to paying attention to each other. He also says that some couples blossom in the empty nest and others wilt. It may depend on how strong the marriage was before the kids left. So the focus needs to come back to each other. Yeah, and that's, that's a big deal because now their marriages are focused on each other. I love that part. And Dr. Jim also mentions that the divorce rate among U.S. adults age 50 and older has almost doubled since the 1990s. This is called a gray divorce. That doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> Austin, why do you think some people get divorced as older empty nesters? Well, I believe it's partly because of what we just talked about in regards to uh, people having strong or weak marriages while their kids were at home. And the main reason for that is because the focus was on the job of raising our kids and we didn't prioritize the relationship with our spouse as we should have. And I think that one piece of advice that I would give to the younger generation is not to put the children before your marriage, but to make both a priority because you need to recognize that one day these little kids that are, they're going to grow up and they're going to leave. <laughs> the ones that your world revolves around and you take care of. And, and when you put your husband on the back burner and you're just focused on the kids, it's going to show eventually when they're gone. And you're not going to spend the rest of your life with these children. You're going to spend the rest of your life with your spouse. So pay attention to each other. One quote that Dr. Burns uses in the book that paints the perfect picture of this is, untended fires soon become nothing but a pile of ashes. This means that we have to stoke them to keep the fire going. And that has to be intentional on our part. Yeah. Well, Asha, I just want to interject here that some of the problem is that over the years, we are like, there was conflict, but the kids needed us. Somebody needed a diaper change. Hurry, we need to get to church. We'll deal with that later, later, later. And it kind of starts to build like a crust, you know, like a, the earth's crust or like coral reef that when you finally are alone, you're like, man, there are so 
many times that you hurt my feelings, that I got offended, that I offended you, that you felt disrespected, that I felt unloved, that you literally have to break through that to get to know each other again because you let it go thinking it wasn't that important. And so you're going from, you know, that romance of being young to our older adulthood. And Proverbs 5, 18, 19 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Have we ever said breast on this uh, podcast before? <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't want to laugh. Sorry. <laughs> Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. So what's fascinating is that this verse, and again, this is for adult ears. So if you have your kids, time to send them to the other room without being too graphic here. There's a blessing both for the husband physically and the wife also, and God is reminding him to love that wife. And his fountain physically is blessed and in good working order, and he's still liking what he sees. Now, Asha, I don't look like I once did, but honestly, none of us do. Even the most healthy, workout, awesome athletes at our age, getting into their late 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, the view Oh, it's just different. <laughs> but God is asking yeah. us to stay in love. He's asking our husbands, like, if you want physical blessings to be able to function like a maid, then love that wife that you met a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And I was thinking about one interesting concept that Dr. Jim brings up. He mentions something called relational fatigue, and he shares four principles of how to get out of the habit of treating our marriage the way we've treated it for years and neglecting it and, and not making it the priority. We need to make a decision, though, to fight for our marriage in this season so that we're not cut off guard by temptations to quit because our gardens have been untended for so long. And, you know, the thing about that is, is that one main thought making that choice. It's a choice. So we have to choose that and remember it. And, you know, sometimes when we're young, like you and I, back in the day, we were just so tired with the kids and just all that stuff that we just didn't think about it. It wasn't that we were trying intentionally to neglect, but the whole thing is to be intentional. So we need to focus on our marriage as well as raising our children in that season before we get to this place where we're in the empty nest and we have to work even harder now. Yeah. So I think that that's just, again, some more advice. Hopefully our, I know my kids do listen. <laughs> a couple of them at least do listen. So this has kind of been a, a little bit of a like, okay, how do I do this? But speak truth, yeah. you know, honestly, and trying to, to share with them what it looks like to be married and what to prioritize and, this is another part of our parenting to our children that are adults now, because, you know, if they can come to us and share with us certain things, not graphic details, but just, you know, mom, something's happening and, and I don't know how to fix it. Oh, you need to prioritize your marriage and not just focus on those babies. So that's one thought I, I was thinking about how to encourage moms and dads our age to pour into our kids, to help them to understand that their marriage should be a priority 
and that the kids aren't the only focus in that season of life. Yeah. And and I think too, when we were young, we were so busy and we were busy about the kids and busy about ministry mm-hmm. and busy about just discovering ourselves. But now when you're older, sometimes you just don't give a heck. <laughs> you just like you you just don't make an effort. You know, like Yeah. When I was younger, I never went to the grocery store without my makeup on. And sometimes on Saturdays, I'm like, who cares? Who cares if this outfit matches? Who cares? Who cares if my toenails, you know, look a little scraped off? You know, I'll I'll deal with that later. But yeah, and I mean, we can be more flexible with ourselves. But sometimes in an older marriage, if you have too many places where you're like, who cares? Or it's not worth fighting for. It's not worth fighting about. Yeah. You're like, fine, fine. You pick. You pick where we're going to eat. Fine. Yeah, that'll make yeah. that'll make a difference. That'll affect the marriage yeah. for sure. Well, I really like the points that you've been bringing up, especially that verse that you read in the last episode. It's been on my mind a lot lately. Isaiah 43, 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Uh, reminds me of a Toby Mac song. <laughs> but, but Asha, <laughs> this could perfectly describe our marriages sometimes. Without care and yeah. focus, they become the wilderness. They become the wasteland. But God uh-huh. has a promise for that. He's saying, I can do a new thing here. You can fall back in right. love. You don't have to look around your office, look around Walmart and try to find somebody new. You can fall in love with this person who who used to be your best friend, you know? Yeah. And who should still yeah. be. Yeah. That's what we should work towards. And so to thrive in the second half of your marriage, it's going to take work, which means being intentional, like I said before. And Dr. Burns has a few tips on it. So we're going to go through a few of them. The first one is Booting your marriage. Reboot your marriage. Dr. Burns states that this includes adjusting roles in your relationship. It's not going to look the same, right? Mom, you're not going to be making dinner for six people now. You're just making dinner for you and one other person. You're not going to be driving people. You're not Uber anymore (laughs) for your children. And husband, you're not going to be putting out money to have kids join all the uh different athletics that they wanted to be in and things like that. So this is a good thing, I think. I mean, you still may be able to help with college if you're at that place, but this is a good thing because you can just apply that stuff and turn towards each other and put it together and and make a different role. You know, take that romantic vacation or, you know, bring flowers home to your lovely wife who's at home still taking care of the home and cleaning or if she's working yeah. you know that's even more you should be able to bless each other and and wife you know take the time to recognize what all your husband is doing and all his hard work and not just to recognize it but even tell him it because he likes to hear those things those things are encouraging we get encouraged by one compliment we can live on it i think he said that somewhere in the book that you can live on a compliment for months, but you know, that goes both yeah, ways. That's funny you say that. I want to add something that, um, so I work in commercial real estate and my broker bought a chicken farm. It was completely 
you know, there were no chickens. There was just dead rats, dead chickens, and piles and piles of manure. And I helped get that chicken farm up and running. And they had brought these farm workers from like Colombia or something. And one day I went and I made them tacos and black beans and brought dessert. And one of the guys said, see, didn't I tell you guys, Malesia would make the perfect wife for anybody. And I'll tell you, that was probably nine months ago. I still remember. I just, it was so nice. I'm like, I don't want to be any of their wives, but I have a husband. But it was just so nice for somebody to say, she would make the perfect wife. And I was like, aw. (laughs) Recognition. Yeah, that's what encourages us and actually draws us to one another. Now, Dr. Burns lists some questions that spouses can address to get things started. A few of them are, what's next for the relationship? Do we have any dreams for us as a couple? And what's good about our relationship and what needs improvement? These are only a few, and I encourage you to go get the book if you haven't already. It's a great tool for this season of empty nesting. And then there's a really good reminder. Dr. Burns quotes a couple that he respects. It says, logs don't move on their own. If a fire is going to keep going, someone has to stoke it. And that's kind of what I was saying a while ago. We need to continue to be intentional about doing the work for our marriage. The second one is fireworks have nothing on friendship. Uh, And he states, no doubt passion and romance are a part of a healthy marriage, but it's proven that companionship and deep friendship are often the best predictors of happiness in a long-lasting relationship. He also talks about a leading researcher that's found the main difference between a stable and unstable relationship and spouses. So what it is, is positivity towards each other, which I, I can see that in all of life. But he says another quote, life is about perspective and not circumstance. And this is true in all of life. So why wouldn't it be true in marriage? He gives an illustration of an older film called Shenandoah, where a young man comes to a father to ask permission to marry the daughter. And the, and the guy says, well, why do you want to marry her? And he says, because I love her. And he goes, well, that's not good enough. Do you like her? You know, because it's so true. You can be in love. And that's a lot of it is hormonal at first, especially at that young age. But do you like this person? Are you going to want to be with them day and night and understand that their quirks are not going to go away, maybe, and your quirks are not going to go away. So do you like them? That should be one of the main questions and one of the things that we strive for now in our empty nest marriage. Yeah, well, Asha, that's so fascinating because actually, do you like who they are now is a good question because I always say this to my kids. I'm like, you go and marry your opposite most of the time because opposites do Mm -hmm. attract somehow and you find that person exciting or interesting or compassionate or whatever. But then the very things that you liked most about them when you're older, I don't know if it changes or you change, but it's not that cute anymore. Like the guy that was very calm and peaceful. Now you're like, get off your lazy butt and let's go. Like you're so calm, (laughs) you're so peaceful. Or the guy that was always like friendly and talking to people. Now you're at the grocery store. You're like, stop talking. We need to get home and make this dinner because people are coming. Like stop talking to the cashier, you know, it's those kind of things that we used to love about each other that have gotten annoying. But also 
I think <laughs> when we get older, our personalities change, you know, circumstances changes. I, I think about some of the things that I've suffered with my kids, like, you know, sexual assault, you know, sickness, addiction, things like that, that I, I really, they, they broke me down, you know, and I, my faith didn't change, but they broke my spirit sometimes and I had to rebuild with, you know, putting my eyes on Jesus. But I think of, you know, the last few years, how much weight I've gained and how sick I've been and how stress takes me from zero to a hundred so fast. I'm like, wow, that's, I look at, you know, what, if anybody had had to go through this, which many of our listeners probably have had circumstances with their adult children that they're like, man, I, I'm not the same happy go lucky person. I've seen, I've, I've seen the face of the devil and I've had to run him off, but, but he was lurking around my house. And so it's things like that, that you just, you know, it it changes us and, and we have to love each other. But a few more things from his list is doing things together is sexy. And one definition of sexy is exciting or attractive. Number four, every great love story is a never-ending conversation. And I think that's important because it just really shows how, you know, when we're talking, we're getting to know each other again. And so one thing that I think really affected me and I'm still trying to put into practice is the communication questions that he asked about deeper discussion, because I think that's it. It's so easy to be too busy to stop and talk to each other that we don't, we don't have those conversations and then we don't really know each other. So Dr. Burns asked, how would you respond to this phrase? How your spouse treats you is their issue. How you respond is yours. And there's a few other deep thought-provoking questions that you might want to look over on your own in the back of the book, but it's just, it's interesting. It's, it's talking about our reactions. And when you're in menopause and somebody says something to you and you're hot and you're having a hot flesh, you're like, just fine, fine, just go, whatever. (laughs) How many, how many husbands like have felt like they got their eyebrows singed off when their wife's like, he's like, how are you? She's like, fine fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh God, you know, light me on fire. You're so grumpy, you know, but how many of our husbands, my, I mean, my husband, my husband's in his sixties. And I will tell you, I have to remind, like, you sound like a grumpy old man right now. <laughs> you know? He's like, what are you so, what are you so frustrated? He's like, I just want this uh, website to work. And I, I like, yeah, but it doesn't like your legs, you know, but then the other day I snapped at him he's like oh relax (laughs) we have to remind each other both ways do you guys have any moments like that where you remind each other like hey don't talk to me so snappy oh well um who doesn't right (laughs) (laughs) but you know the thing about this book that I really appreciate is that that he gives us questions that we wouldn't go and ask on our own you know what I'm saying so it's a good tool for us to share with our husbands. I mean, not just keep this book to ourselves. We we should share it with our husbands and maybe we can go through these questions that that he's brought up and who knows what could come of it. It might just be a a blessing to be able to to talk it out and to understand these things because a lot of the things that we face in our marriage I think is about 
miscommunication, the struggles that we have. And um, he does talk about communication and how marriage has a soul and healthy souls, you know, equal healthy lives, right? So our goal should be more united and to be one flesh. And he mentions that in the book and he's referencing Matthew 19, 5 and 6. And there's a spiritual aspect of marriage that is really neglected nowadays. Nobody ever thinks about that first, you know, the spiritual aspect. And I appreciate what added to that. He said that we should make as much effort to connect spiritually as we do physically. And Dr. Burns also thinks that it's one of the least developed areas of intimacy for couples. And that's really, really a shame. And it could be changed by something as easy and simple as 20 minutes a day or a week or however long for devotional or prayer time with each other together. When I was younger, we had a pastor that told my husband specifically, oh, I don't pray with my wife. It's not really necessary. And that kind of stuck with my husband for a while. And it wasn't until just maybe 10, 15 years ago when we were maybe on the mission field, when that kind of started to change. So it's interesting how mentors can have an effect and <laughs> the choices of mentors, but we'll, we're going down a rabbit trail here. I am. So let's, let me get back. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. But to summarize this chapter, let me just say there was one quote in the book that I thought was like a summary of everything. And it's from a book by Melissa Schultz. And it's called From Mom to Me Again, which I haven't read, but this looks like I might want to <laughs> go get it and read it. And it says, we're still here together because we want to be. And that says it all. It's a decision that we have to make our choice to stay to live our best life with our spouse at this time of our life. And we have to choose it day after day. We have to make that decision to treat each other with grace and love. And I think there's something about that in the book as well. Some other quote that you said that grace and love. And then the next day you got to do that again, yeah. right? treat each other that way and make that choice. So that is the summation of this little chapter, I think, for me in my mind. And <laughs> well, I, I want to add that I remember years ago, well, my first marriage, obviously, because I was married twice, but my first marriage, I'm going to like marriage conferences and they say, husband, love is made in the kitchen. Like if you'll help her put away the dishes or cook a dinner, but we'll get back there in the bedroom. And so I think it's the same thing here now. It's, yeah, it's great if they would help us wash the dishes, but it's one pot and two plates and two forks. So there's, like, right. there's only so many brownie points, but it's something about sitting and talking about our day or praying together. And, you know, now my husband and I tonight, we're starting a discipleship group and it's, that that is intimacy for me you know that that right. we're going to try to minister to single adults and and other couples and just share the word of god and to see my husband taking a step like that this is the first time you know he's done a men's group before and was kind of the he was the leader but it was more like he's a facilitator but this time he's really taking it and and I've been waiting for years for us to do a couples group because we keep getting stuck in men's group and women's group and we don't get to share. Right. So, Yeah, it really does make a big difference to have that spiritual aspect because it's, you know, we're not just physical. Yeah. You know what I mean? We, there's a spiritual, emotional, and our soul and everything. So it has to be a whole, a whole being if we're going to become one 
we have to become one in every area. So yeah, it's good. Not that we have to have the exact same thoughts or the exact same opinions, but just that we are are striving together and moving forward. So yeah. Well, Asha, you said the word physical, so I'm just going to go right off of that because we're headed to chapter five and things are getting hot in here. Nobody take off their clothes. I've heard that song. <laughs> you heard that song. That is so funny. Yeah. Well, we're going to go through this one a little more quickly and not because we're just trying to get through it. It's because Missy has to be back to work. The title says it all. It's Rekindling Romance. And principle number five is untended embers soon become ashes, but a spark can reignite the fire. Yeah. He mentions in chapter five, a cartoon he saw of an empty nest couple sitting in the living room at their house. She's sitting, reading a book, and he's standing next to her. He says to his wife, now that the kids are grown and gone, I thought it might be a good time for us to have sex. Asha, do you and your friends talk about sex? <laughs> no, just you, Missy. <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> no, but seriously. I know, I know. I'm just joking. Seriously, let's, let's get serious, though. Well, this topic is something that does need to be discussed. It should be done reverently, and we should always try to honor one another in our marriage. And maybe that's why, for me, this is not a comfortable subject to discuss in public. Uh, it's called intimacy for a reason, yeah. right? And the world has turned this into something else. It's so sad. It's transactional, selfish, perverse, and common, and... The Lord intended it to be invaluable and selfless, holy and exclusive. Yeah. Well, I literally have no one in my life that I talk about sex to, except my spouse, of course. I call him my DSP, my designated sex partner. <laughs> I was like, well, you're my DSP, so. <laughs> but this is more than just ticking a box, fulfilling your obligations to each other. Like the kids are gone. Let's. Let's meet up on Tuesdays at 8.30 p.m. It's not about that. It's about romance, putting each other first, and letting God have his way in your life. Letting God right. show you how to take care of each other. Yeah, and Dr. Burns agrees. He says romance is much more than sex, but a healthy sexual relationship with their spouse is undoubtedly one of the key expressions of a close, loving relationship. Did you hear that, though, Missy? He said, one <laughs> of the keys, not the key. Okay. <laughs> so two verses come to mind when thinking about entwining our lives together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The first one is Mark 10, 6 through 9. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore... What God has joined together and let no one separate. And you have the second right. one, right? And the one I love is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10. Two are better than one, for if either of them falls, one can help the other one up. So we're saying here communication is a big deal. Spending time together on purpose is a big deal. What else? Well, Dr. Jim gives us six ways to rekindle the romance. Number one, pleasure. Sex is fun. That's that's what from the book. <laughs> the enemy has gotten his claws into this holy expression of love and fruitfulness, and he's turned it into something shameful. And there's one woman on in the book that confides that she was told all her life by her mother that it was bad and it was it was not good and disgusting and not to do it. And 
mamas, don't do this to your girls. Don't do this to your girls. And I understand where she was coming from. She was trying to encourage her not to have sex out of marriage. But what we should do is explain to them that sex within marriage is a gift that God blessed us with and that it is enjoyable, but that it is sacred and saved for this union because God has ordained it that way, that it would be blessed for fruitfulness and for one another so that we can have that bond with our husband. I heard this one talk once, and I think it was at my kids' high school when they were in high school, about how you bond to somebody. It's kind of like two pieces of tape sticking together when you have sex and then being pulled apart and then going to the next person and trying to stick with that person. And if you keep doing it and over and over, it loses the adhesiveness, you know, the yeah, tape. Yeah, you get a lot of length and in there. <laughs> yeah. And so it's the same way with sex out of marriage. God meant it to be a bond that that would not be broken easily. So that's what I picture in my mind when when I try to think about sex within marriage and sex outside of marriage. It's to draw us to our spouse and for us to bear fruit. And it is for us to be bound together forever until we die, right? Till death do us part. That's what the word says. And the next thing is connection. Emotional intimacy, it almost always precedes good physical intimacy. Without emotion, it's nothing more than a transaction. This reminds me of that old song. Do you remember? Who was it? Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? She's just talking about sex. You know, it's nothing more than a transaction. That's pretty sad and we don't want to do that. The other thing, the third thing he says is initiative to just say yes. Women make a move and men learn how to make a move. This is what you were talking about earlier about if the husband does something for the wife or whatever. Um, Men, you need to remember that a woman's desire, this is what he says in the book, is usually a barometer of her world. If she's not rested, happy, healthy, feeling appreciated or supported and loved, she's not going to be in the mood, right? And men are different. Dr. B says that Men like to have sex to feel emotionally connected and women need to be emotionally connected to have sex. So it's kind of like we need to see each other and and recognize that instead of, it's kind of almost like the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Okay, how will this please them? And how are they pleased and how should I please them? And instead of this is how I want it, right? So just take that. The fourth point he makes is that our libidos, most couples have different sex drives in this season of life because we're affected in different ways, hormonally and things like that. Menopause is a big factor, but we should keep communication open and let each other know so that there's no confusion about what's going on. It's not because I don't love you and I don't want to, but it's this mm-hmm. or that or whatever. And then we need to respect Be a lover and not a parent. We need to respect one another. Don't command each other around and don't nag each other, but just treat each other as equals because nobody likes to be micromanaged and being treated like a a kid is not something that's going to create the mood for anything more than uh, anger. (laughs) And then there's hindrances, of course, not tonight. I have a hangnail (laughs) and... This one reminded me of 1 Corinthians 7, 3, 5. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, 
but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So this is not saying you have to power through it when, when you're in pain or something like that, but go get checked out, see what needs to be done. And don't just say no because you don't feel like it. You need to remember that you both have needs and you should honor each other in that yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. So here are the top eight killers of passion, sex, intimacy, according to Dr. Burns. One, exhaustion and stress. And that stress, I always say, we're the sandwich generation. Our mom calls us. Your dad's not doing well. Our kids call us. I'm late on my insurance, car insurance. You know, okay. you, you've got all these things coming at you. Yeah. Two, lack of physical affection, flirting, intimate conversation. You should be having those conversations before you're exhausted and go to sleep. <laughs> Number three, mm -hmm. too much to do yeah. and too many things left undone. Number four, emotional distance and intense conflict. Five, lack of mm -hmm. physical or emotional safety. Six, feeling unappreciated. Seven, negativity mm -hmm. and constant criticism. And eight, like you had mentioned, the plumbing isn't working correctly, which is the joy of menopause and middle age. So, <laughs> you know, right. take yeah. those seriously, though. You can, for the most part, get a lot of those things fixed, but you've got to put the effort. Yeah. And I would add another. I would say distraction. Don't be distracted. Stay present in the moment when you are with your spouse. Sometimes, you know, we'll go into a room or for dinner and we'll both be on our phones. Yeah. So, you know, scrolling through news or texting our friends or texting our kids. And we need to make sure that we have that time set aside for each other and are paying close attention to each other to honor each other, especially in the bedroom. You don't want to bring the electronics and and the TV into the bedroom and just distract you. That's one thing that I have never liked is to have a TV in the bedroom. Just because it is just so, it's just a, a time stealer and life sucker. You know, I, I've never had a TV in, I mean, total, I've been married about 26 years and I have never had a TV in the bedroom because I was like, mm -hmm. first of all, I'm tired. And usually one person right. likes to stay up late and keep watching when the other one's not at the same time. But also, yeah, when we get here, it needs to be all about us because we're trying to hide out from the kid. <laughs> you're like yeah this is our room that is what we were doing and i've just seen it on you know home improvement things and there's like they have these big old giant tvs in their bedroom and i'm like why would they do that like the, but anyway that's just yeah because there are some opinion, people they so. cannot go to sleep without the tv noise and that sort of thing so you yeah. you just have to work it out but in my home i have chosen no tv because i i'm exhausted by the time i hit the he also has a list of how to improve your sex life. And we're going to let the listeners look at that section on their own since I feel like I've had my share of sex talk for the foreseeable <laughs> future. <laughs> what I feel we can take away, though, from this portion of the book is that this half of our marriage can be the most satisfying and full if we make a choice to intentionally work at it. And we've learned that God is inviting us to deepen our marriage relationship and to enjoy one another, but we have to make the effort. So I think we're all done for the day, and we hope you guys get the book and, and dig in more. And 
hope it helps your marriage. We'll be praying for that. And with that, Missy, can you say a prayer for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to talk about the intimacy parts of our lives within the realm of the gift that you give us. We thank you for our own marriages. We thank you for people who are married now or seeking to be married, that you would bless them and that they would not just hunger and thirst for each other, but hunger and thirst for righteousness in how they treat each other. And we ask, Lord, that as mature parents, that we'd be a good example to our sons and daughters of how to treat each other and how to truly be in love. And we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we talked about a lot of things today, and there was a lot of lists. But if you go through each one of them, there's something for you today. Because you've got this, Mama.